Welcome to the America's Quarterly Podcast. I'm Brian Winter. Ecuador is one of the few remaining Latin American countries where the left is not in charge. But what do recent developments, including a loss in a national referendum, mean for the future of President Guillermo Lasso's conservative administration? Unfortunately, I think the most likely scenario is one of destabilization of the Lasso government and potentially early elections this year. When it comes to a vote and the National Assembly, I think that it is very unlikely that most political forces will be willing to protect the last administration at this point. Somehow the last administration is becoming like political kryptonite. Things were never going to be easy for Ecuador's conservative president, Guillermo Lasso. He was elected in 2021 partly because of a split in the Ecuadorian left. It was enough to get him into office, but the popular mandate for his pro-business agenda was never particularly strong, and much of Congress was lined up against him. Last year, Lasso's government survived a major challenge from protests and blockades across the country, many of them led by members of indigenous groups. Now, it looks like the knives are out once again, after voters defeated a referendum of constitutional amendments proposed by Lasso, and candidates associated with the leftist opposition won municipal elections in key cities like Guayaquil. Ecuadorian financial markets have been hit in recent days by concerns that Lasso's government may now be mortally wounded, that it could become a lame duck unable to carry out the economically liberal agenda he has put forth, or that he could even find it difficult to stay in office and might have to call early elections. This, of course, comes at a moment when protests are already raging in neighboring Peru, and governments all over Latin America are struggling with low popularity and, in some places, ongoing protest movements. To help us assess the outlook in Ecuador and how it relates to events elsewhere in the region, we've invited political analyst Sebastián Hurtado, who joins us from Quito. Sebastián, welcome back to the AQ Podcast. Brian, it's great to be here again. Sebastián, I want to cut right to the chase here. President Lasso's term is supposed to end in 2025. Do you think he'll get there still in office? Everybody's wondering that. Right now, Brian, it's becoming increasingly difficult. The political situation faced by President Lasso was very complex to start with, but that situation has deteriorated significantly in the last few months, and especially in the last week since the referendum. I was expecting instability in the Lasso administration. What I didn't expect is that the Lasso administration will do so much to make the situation even worse. What do you mean by that? The last administration has failed to deliver in key aspects of significant concern for Ecuadorians. One is security. You know, we've been living through a major security crisis, an unprecedented security crisis in Ecuador. And people feel that the government hasn't been able to manage the situation or has not managed it. Properly. From the outside looking in, Sebastian, so much of this looks like a security story. 
And it's fascinating to me because from a regional perspective, it's very similar to what is happening in Chile or Uruguay, which we talked about on the podcast last week. These countries that are getting a wave of violence like they've never had before and perhaps are not prepared to deal with it. And that has political consequences. Sticking with Ecuador, Insight Crime, the publication on security in the region, showed in their report that homicide rates last year almost doubled in Ecuador. And it is now one of the highest rates per 100,000 in Latin America, 26 per 100,000. Is that the main reason for Lasso's decline in popularity? That's a major thing. And the thing is that, you know, the violent part of the crime that we've seen is, as I mentioned, unprecedented. And I think the Ecuadorian state is ill-prepared to deal with such a, a threat. But the other area is... I think the government has somehow failed to deliver on basic government services, which I think have deteriorated. And that's what the most people, most Ecuadorians are feeling. Uh, we feel that they have deteriorated in the last few years. And I think those two factors have significantly impacted the public support for the last administration. I want to go back to one of the initial comments that you made at the beginning, which was that this was always going to be a complex situation for a president like Lasso. And I wonder how much of this, in your view, is just, you know, a center-right-right conservative president who was elected for somewhat idiosyncratic reasons, if you look back at that election where there was a dispute between the third place candidate and the Arauz, you know, Rafael Correa's uh, candidate. These were two people on the left who split. And at some level that let Lasso win the election. Is he just at the end of the day, not enough in sync with where most of the Ecuadorian electorate really is? I think that was a problem even at the beginning. I think the Lasso government got a very weak mandate. When he was elected, he was elected with fewer votes than what he got four years earlier when he lost the election. And at the same time, you know, Ecuadorians basically elected a right-wing government or center-right government with a center or center-left uh, Congress. So it was a, a difficult political situation. And I think, you know, especially since President Lasso didn't get a strong mandate, I think that combination of those factors were about to bring some stability going forward. But I think some additional issues have, have come up in the last year, which have made things worse. Some of them we discussed before, and there are some more recent ones that we can discuss right now. Go ahead. It was a government that ran also in a platform of anti-corruption fight. A lot of information has surfaced that somehow has weakened that political narrative coming from the government. Most governments get accused of some corruption at some point because you have officials involved in wrongdoing and things like that. The problem of these corruption allegations affecting President Lasso right now is that they reach out to people very close to the president, not only within the administration, but even friends and family members, especially his 
longtime business partner at Banco Guayaquil, Danilo Carrera, who is also his brother-in-law. And there's been information surfacing on uh, how this person has had influence in the last administration and how that influence has led to the appointment of officials that ended up involved in corruption scandals. Additional information keeps coming up, and I think that has been a major factor in weakening the government even further. In light of that, Sebastian, how did you interpret the results of this referendum? So the Lazo government was seeing this referendum as a way to somehow regain political initiative and regain some political capital and political leverage and somehow get a new mandate or political mandate for his administration. And it designed this referendum with eight questions that were like, they were basically designed to be won. And they were focused on this area of security, things regarding extradition of prisoners to the United States, for example, that polls showed at the time that a majority of Ecuadorians want it, but it didn't quite work out that way, did it? They were designed to get a yes vote. And at the end, they didn't. And the only explanation for that is the fact that people are really frustrated with the last administration. And uh, they ended up voting out of rejection, out of spite for the last administration. And I think that that's the message that the voters sent on the election. And here again, another regional parallel with Chile. It seems like the referendum on these issues turned into a referendum on Lasso's presidency, similar to what happened with the new constitution and the Boric government in 2022. Sebastian, you wrote in America's Quarterly last year that if that happened, it would turn into a disaster. And here we are in February, and it seems to have turned into a disaster for Lasso. It has. It definitely backfired. Not only the result on the referendum. Now, the second part of what we had on some, on the day of the election, which I think ended up being the worst case scenario for the last administration, is the fact that not only the government lost the referendum, but the most radical opposition to the last administration, which are the Correistas, were the clear winners of the local elections. So it's a combination of bad outcomes for the government, political outcomes for the government. So, Sebastian, is this just a case where, as we've seen in other countries like Bolivia, when the MAS returned to power, or now more recently, in Brazil with the return of the PT? Is this just all a story of the inevitability of the return of the left from the 2000s back to positions of power? I mean, is can we see Ecuador in a regional context as sort of that story? Or do you think there's something else going on? In the case of Ecuador, there's clear rejection to the current administration, as I mentioned. And I think the Correistas are the only political force in Ecuador that has maintained a clear narrative of opposition to the Lasso government. That has already paid off in the local elections. And I think that's going to play going forward. You know, I see those political forces that are clearly aligned with the opposition having an edge 
if we have early elections either this year or if the last administration makes it to 2025 to the next election cycle. After a short break, we'll look ahead. Will there be early elections in Ecuador? What should we expect from Correistas if they come back to power? The America's Quarterly Podcast is sponsored by The Boeing Company. Boeing supports the commitment of Latin America's aviation industry to reach net zero by the year 2050. Boeing has led this effort by committing to certify its aircraft to fly on 100% sustainable fuels and welcomes recent commitments by airlines in the region to increase their use. So this brings me back to my first question. What's going to happen? Do you think early elections are on the table? Is there a risk of some kind of Chile-style popular revolt where people come out on the streets and the government comes under pressure that way? I mean, what's your expectation for possible scenarios, at least, of how this might play out? Unfortunately, I think the most likely scenario is one of destabilization of the of the Lasso government and potentially early elections this year. When it comes to a vote and the National Assembly, I think that it is very unlikely that most political forces will be willing to protect the last administration at this point. Somehow the, the last administration is becoming like political kryptonite. And I think even those political forces that don't want to go to early elections might end up voting for an impeachment of President Lasso or for a Muerte Cruzada. So Muerte Cruzada basically is a process of calling for early elections of president and Congress. And this process can be called upon by the National Assembly or by the president. I think if we get an impeachment of President Lasso, I think President Lasso might react calling himself for early elections and for a muerte cruzada. I think we have to add that the indigenous groups who are, and especially Leonidas Issa, who is the leader of Conaye, the largest indigenous group in the country, who was behind the protest that almost toppled down the last administration last year, he has already... I mean, he was considering mobilizing people and returning to protest probably at the end of this month or in March. And I think it is very likely that they're going to be deciding something this month, but I think it is very likely they, they will try to strike again against the government. I'm not really sure if it's going to be as big as last year, but it, that will also play on this a scenario of instability. And if you have an opposition Congress trying to get rid of the last administration and you combine that with some protests on the street, I think you get into a scenario where the only political alternative is to just call for Muerte Cruzada and go to early elections. Zibasian, can you talk to me a little bit about the Correistas and where they are ideologically and in terms of their leadership as we sit here in February 2023, I mean, I know that former President Correa remains, you know, it's, they're called the Correistas, so he remains very influential. But my understanding is that he could not be a candidate for president again. What would they look like in practice if they came back to power? Correistas are clearly left wing. You know, they were clearly a government of. 21st century socialism when we, we, they got in power in 2008. 
2007. And I would say they were very radical at the beginning. I mean, they defaulted on foreign debt. They canceled contracts. They seized property. They were very radical. They cut ties with the United States, several things. Towards the second part of their mandate, I think they became more pragmatic. They came back to foreign markets. They issued foreign debt. And they started to promoting foreign investment more actively. For example, they actively promoted mining. So what can I expect from a new Korean administration, which is one scenario, not necessarily, I'm not giving for granted that they're going to be coming back. I think they have a good chance of doing it. I would expect for a new Korean administration to be more aligned with the second part of this type of administration in terms of being more pragmatic. Why I think that, you know, markets have been really scared about the Koreistas coming back into power because they're reminded of the default that Koreistas made in 2008. I honestly think that uh, the scenario is exaggerated. I think Koreistas don't necessarily have an incentive to defaulting on, on foreign debt for several reasons. One being that some of that debt was issued by President Correa and not significant payments are due on foreign debt until 2025. That's the information I have from Koreistas. They will be running with Carlos Rabascal as presidential candidate. Carlos Rabascal was the vice presidential candidate for Andres Arauz in the previous election. And Rabascal is not necessarily a radical at all. The other point that I will make in terms of they being more pragmatic this time is I think some of the success that they had in these local elections was due to the fact that they appointed a couple of moderate candidates in their lists. That is the case for the newly, newly elected mayor of Quito, Pavel Muñoz, who I think he's, he's, a, he's a, a Korista leader, but I would say he's not necessarily radical. And I think the same thing happened with the candidate Alvarez, who won as mayor of Guayaquil who is also not a radical candidate. So I think the Correistas is a political group, as I mentioned, that have the upper hand in a potential new election. I will expect for them to be less radical, especially on the economic side. I think they're going to be more radical in the political side. If they're not radical on the economic side, then what do you mean by radical on the political side? Do you mean authoritarian in terms of trying to fence out opposition, for example, and people who disagree with them? I think that's going to be the case. I think they're going to be very active on using a state power in order to somehow limit dissent. That's what they did when they were in power. Critical component of that is taking control of most political or most state institutions, which is what they were able to do during the first period of Correism. And through that influence, they can have a lot of leverage in terms of, you know, influencing the media, influencing business people, influencing 
trade organizations, influencing labor unions. And I think they're going to be back into trying to have this political control in order to just have the upper hand on the political side. What do you think Ecuadorians want from their government? I would say that Ecuador is, has been usually either left-leaning or populist. And that's why the election of President Lasso was so unique. And you can tell that people are, or at least a lot of people are demanding, going back to a situation where they had a stronger government that was more present and that was more active on everything, on the economy, on, on politics. But, you know, that, that, could, that could also provide an opportunity for the right too, you know, not just the left. For example, I think even though the Correistas are the clear potential winners of a new election in the sense that they're the clear opposition to the last administration, I think there's a political opportunity for an outsider too. An outsider that goes beyond this political dynamic between Correismo and anti-Correismo that has been going on for over 10 years. You could see that playing out in the last election, for example, in the last presidential election where Jaco Perez, a clear outsider of that election, almost got into the second round. I think he remains a clear outsider of any new election, for example, because he hasn't been connected to the last administration, nor has he been connected to Correismo. But you could still have uh, an outsider on the right, someone that might be running with an anti-crime platform, for example, or an anti-corruption platform, for example. But what I think people want to see is a more and a stronger leadership and a stronger government fighting for something, <laughs> fighting for their interest. They want to see an effective government. And I don't think people are interested or very interested in issues like rule of law or democracy. They want a government that gets things done. Well, Sebastian, this leads me into my final question. What happens in Ecuador is very important to the 18 million people who live in Ecuador. My question is, why do you think Ecuador right now is important to Latin America as a whole, these recent developments? How does it fit into, in your view, some of these bigger stories that we've been seeing in the region over the last couple of years? Well, you know, the situation in Ecuador with uh, Lasso presidency was very unique. President Lasso is the first center-right, pro-business, pro-investment president that Ecuador has elected in 20 years. So it was a significant change with what we've been seeing recently. And at the end, I would say that right now, the Ecuadorian government is the only government of those characteristics in the region. Regionally, you know, I, I think it was, uh, it, it was provided some, some political balance within the region. I think if we lose the last administration of uh, we get early elections and Ecuador moves to the other side, on one hand, 
I mean, it will be a, a missed opportunity in the case of Ecuador in terms of advancing an economic liberalization reform, which I think was the, a key component of the President Lasso political platform. And I think he hasn't been able to do much on that front. And if he, if he doesn't finish his administration, I mean, that's a process that will stall. And uh, we will likely get a government that is more aligned with uh, other governments in the region, you know, being Lula, being uh, Colombia, being uh, whatever comes in Peru next in Chile. So I think it will be, uh, Ecuador will add itself to a more left-leaning region. And uh, it will add to a more tricky relationship with the United States. Thank you so much for sharing your perspective with us and for being on the AQ Podcast. Thank you, Brian. Great to be here and good to see you. Thank you for listening to the America's Quarterly Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review, give us a rating, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The America's Quarterly Podcast is produced by Luisa Franco and edited in partnership with Human Group Media.